Hello. Feedback from my last post was to do a podcast jingle and get a better mic. So I guess here we are. Anyway, it's been another month since my last update. I've largely been spending time doubling down on my two main interesting ideas, the neural interface and grid-level energy storage. I'm also now at the six-month mark for my exploration period. This calls for a short reflection and realignment of goals. After that, I'll talk about how my projects are going. Next section, six-month reflection. When I left Samsara in December, I said I would take a six to 12 month exploratory period and revisit the six month mark. Well, here we are at the first checkpoint. So the good, I've investigated seven ideas, have two promising threads to continue and have several more ideas in wait. I'm able to be productive day to day, although it's a constant challenge. I've met and talked with at least a hundred people across these different investigations and have sent more cold emails than I can count. One thing that I'm pleasantly surprised by is that I've gotten significantly better at executing on ideal analysis itself, uh, conducting interviews, finding the right source materials, traversing the network, and creating business strategy are all skills I didn't feel comfortable with before, but now feel reasonably competent in. I've managed to roughly boil it down to a reasonable-ish checklist. Step one. Identify an interesting problem that satisfies my human impact or TAM goals. Step two, breadth first search. Map out the ecosystem, identify specific points that seem ripe for innovation. Step three, depth first search. Dig all the way to the frontier of human knowledge on those points, reading all the boring stuff like patents, research papers, laws, etc. Step four, formulate a handful of potential business strategies that could pair a technological innovation with the desired impact on the problem. Step five, find experts in the field, uh, ask them if these ideas make sense or are stupid, uh, then ask them who to talk to, and then recurse to map out the network. Step six, find a co-founder, hopefully through this process. Step seven, kick off building towards MVP. At face value and uh, gut instinct, things seem to be going in the right direction. Next section, the bad. My day-to-day goal setting and existential fulfillment are still struggles. I've adjusted back from the full chaos, uh, do whatever I want approach to a slightly more structured lifestyle. This middle ground still has shortcomings, but it's as good as it's gonna get for now. My physical health has been actually a point of particularly uh, particular difficulty. I haven't managed to establish and stick to an est- exercise schedule that I'm satisfied with so far. Part of this is that exercise just doesn't provide enough value to my life to justify doing as a generally healthy person with a lot of re- residual fitness. Exercise just takes away time, energy, and willpower from me doing actual work. Adding socialization seems to be the solution. Um, it seems to tip the scales in the other way, and exercise actually becomes net valuable. Unfortunately though, I still haven't been able to establish a social exercise routine that works for me. The ugly. It seems like the world economy is presently crashing and burning around us, uh, along with my net worth. I find it a mix of amusing and infuriating that moments before the Samsara lockup expires, the Entire world economy collectively decides that tech should go into a multi-year recession as bad as the dot-com bubble.
This also means that starting a startup right now and fundraising are going to be extremely difficult. Uh, in the face of this difficulty, I see glimpses of cautious optimism. Market forces still exist, obviously, and picking the right strategy will still yield strong results. I think this environment will lead to solid business strategy versus kind of the just build things and be smart mindset uh, being weighted even higher in investor eyes. So when will I give up and find a real job? Well, not quite yet. Despite all this craziness, I'm going to continue pushing forward with these two ideas and I'm committed to see this whole process through at least to the year mark. Next section, neural interface update. Since I last wrote about the neural interface idea, a lot of tinkering has happened. I bought the OpenBCI EEG headset, uh, 3D printed the frame and calibrated it successfully. I've included an image in the post. On the software side, I got a crash course in NumPy and Scikit-Learn and learned how to write a simple neural net uh, to read the data and try to classify body movements. Huge shout out to my friend Zane for pairing with me and helping me understand how the training works. I've also linked the repo if you're curious and want to take a look. Unfortunately, body movement classification doesn't work yet. Uh, we're currently training and classifying on one data point uh, from every electrode per timestamp, which I think is not fully representative of how neuronal activity should be recorded. Uh, a rolling time window of a second or two would be more reasonable, so we could actually look at patterns of neuronal firings. Also a big shout out to Brian Twan for coming up to SF to hack with me uh, on a different implementation this time training on Fourier transform data. I'm very lucky to have friends who know so much more than me in this area. Um, this time we were targeting eye closed slash open slash blinking. Um, I haven't yet gotten a chance to do like real time evaluation on this method, so I'm not sure if it, it works yet. Um, as a funny side note, it is shockingly difficult to wave your hands above your head for 10 minutes. Try it out. <laughs> also blinking for 10 minutes, insanely difficult. Generating training data is really hard work. On the hardware side, uh, the next step here is to convert the EEG headset to the EF use the EFI sensor, um, preferably in a way where both of the systems can run simultaneously uh, so that I can compare with parallel testing. Uh, so basically I have two options. I can reduce the EEG from 16 to eight channels and try to like jerry-rig the other eight channels and like to take the EFI input. That'd be like really nice because it uses the existing data ingestion system that I already know works. Um, but one of the risks is that the board that I'm using from OpenBCI probably has some black magic stuff on it that filters the data and you know uses the ear clip ground to do some weird manipulation. So uh, it might not work out. The other option is uh, to build the EFI system to feed into a completely separate system like a Raspberry Pi or Arduino. I need to build the noise filtering and data ingestion on my own, but this also means I'd have more control. The risk here is that, well, it would be a lot more work. Uh, and there's some unknown unknowns as well, like what if the Raspberry Pi has a board you know, sampling rate limit or something like that. Uh, in the meantime, I'm building a sample circuit for one single EFI sensor connected to a Raspberry Pi. Um, I just received a bunch of the components in the mail, so should be able to assemble, assemble this pretty soon. After successfully wiring up one sensor, I'll need to modify the design to use a multiplexer and array of sensors, and then rinse and repeat and solder up everything. Once this all works, then 
I'd move on to noise shielding, uh, cancellation, and calibration. Overall, this has been a much harder process than expected. I don't remember a ton from when I studied circuitry in high school, so it's pretty weird. Big shout out to North for helping me figure out what should go where and how to work with transistors. Next section, bidirectional EV chargers. All right, now for the big one. I've continued to dive deeper and deeper on this energy storage problem and may finally be somewhere interesting. The problem, as you may recall from my last post, we need a shitload of energy storage very soon. Uh, Biden's nationwide goals are 80% renewable by 2030 and 100% renewable by 2050. And that's respectively 5.4 terawatt hours of storage and 400 terawatt hours of storage. And uh, the current status nationwide is we have eight gigawatt hours, which is three orders of magnitude off of uh, even the 80% goal. And uh, current energy storage startups, I think, are extremely unlikely to scale up to meet this goal. Uh, most of the current trials are at the megawatt level at best. Uh, I don't understand why more people aren't freaking out about this, to be honest. Uh, anyway, I think using EVs as grid batteries or electric vehicles um, is the answer to our problems. It's called vehicle to grid. EV battery capacity is the quickest scaling source of storage out there by an order of magnitude. On top of that, it's on the right scale to address the issue three out of the five terawatt hours that we need. The TLDR is we have a huge source of demand, huge source of supply, and they're currently not interfacing. The approach. I was searching far and wide trying to find a clever business strategy to tackle this problem. Then uh, Billy Waldman, a friend from the early Samsara days, reminded me of an important fact. Market making is extremely painful and mostly undesirable if you want strong sales and growth. It's much easier to find an existing market and sell something 20% better and 20% cheaper. So what's the most obvious thing to sell to enable V2G at a large scale? Chargers. Next section, the charger ecosystem. So what's the deal with chargers? What are they made of? How are they sold, installed, and used? In a nutshell, a normal unidirectional charger has pretty much one critical component, a AC-DC converter for turning grid supply into DC to charge an EV battery. Many EVs actually come with this component on board, uh, so a lot of unidirectional chargers are just cables with high current ratings. A bidirectional charger has a key additional component, a DC-AC inverter. On top of this, there's a bunch of sophisticated power electronics to control whether current should go one way or the other. Because of this, bidirectional chargers are typically two to four times more expensive. They also legally require an additional piece of equipment in most jurisdictions, something called home islanding. This is basically a giant switch that you throw to take your house off the grid, but automatic. The reason for this is when blackouts happen, Utility line workers need power lines to not be powered so they can work on them. Systems like V2G or solar panels that can feed energy back to the grid can be dangerous because they can cause the power lines to be live. Islanding equipment typically costs two to four thousand dollars, with an additional steep installation cost of five to ten thousand dollars. So the installation is quite pricey, um, mostly because the process is dangerous and complex. It necessarily involves cutting a live wire from the grid and replacing it with a switch. 
I've included a interesting graphic here of how it all works if you want to take a look in the newsletter. Anyway, there are also three different levels of chargers, uh, which vary based on cost and how quickly they can charge an EV. It's basically level one, level two, and level three. Uh, and they rate it in what they call miles per hour, but it's actually like the amount of miles you can drive per hour of, uh, of charging. So level one is three to five miles per hour. Uh, level two is 12 to 80 miles per hour. And level three is like three to 20 miles per minute or 1200 miles per hour. There are also a bunch of different use cases which uh, all have different requirements and stakeholders. Uh, single family home, multifamily home, office building, destination like Whole Foods, range extension like a gas station on the way to Tahoe, uh, or Fleet Depot. To make things even more complicated, EV charging has a dongle problem. Uh, there are so many different standards out here. I've included a graphic. There's nine different ones across all the diff different countries. Uh, kind of chaotic. So a lot going on here. Next section, competitive landscape. The unidirectional charger competitive landscape is quite crowded, both vertically and horizontally. Uh, but most of the competition is focused on public charging infrastructure, which is unsurprising given the vast majority of government incentives are flowing into that right now. Biden recently committed $5 billion to build EV infrastructure. I don't think this is worth looking at because public infrastructure is mostly for range extension purposes, which is the opposite of what you want for bidirectional charging. For bidirectional chargers, there are only a handful of key players because the market is still in the process of forming. Here's a breakdown of every single one of them. Uh, I've got a big ass spreadsheet and it doesn't even fit in a screenshot. Uh, so take a look if you're interested. Um, I'm projecting residential consumers will likely buy at least 14 million bidirectional chargers by 2032. That comes out to $27 billion, so that's um, a lot. Uh, none of these competitors are even close to that level of scale. Most of them have only sold a couple hundred or a thousand units uh, at best. Basically, the pie is going to be really big, and taking a bit of it will still be big money. We need all the charges we can get, and as soon as possible. Tailwinds. Now for the fun part. Besides the massive supply-demand gap, there's even more going for this idea. Right now, even if you wanted to buy a bidirectional charger, you couldn't. There isn't a single one on sale in the US. How come? Because there would be no point. You can't currently legally sell the energy back to the grid right now. However, in 2020, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, or FERC, passed a landmark legislative change called FERC 2222. In a nutshell, it allows distributed energy resources, aka Tesla Powerwalls, solar panels, and EVs, uh, to participate in wholesale energy markets. This is huge because it removes the final regulatory barrier preventing V2G from be being financially viable. When this goes into effect, anyone can sell energy back to the grid at market rates. So when will this actually go into effect? Turns out for California and New York, it's this November. FERC has been working with the different ISOs across the country to execute on compliance. Um, and here's a table of when each one has committed to making this switch. On top of this huge federal action, the DOE is moving in hard to push V2G, actually. 
Just last month, it announced a collaboration with all the industry leaders committing to a research period to determine market viability. On top of that, it committed $505 million to fund long duration storage solutions actually just last week. This is really fascinating because it actually opens up an alternative to VC fundraising, which may actually be more suited to climate tech. The downside though is obviously working with the government is painful. One last thing in terms of tailwinds, OEMs or automakers are making huge investments into EVs. I predict that OEMs that are behind in the field, aka everyone who isn't Tesla, will use vehicle 2x tech as a catch-up mechanic, as a Tesla isn't probably going to offer this feature because it's like a conflict of interest with selling their power walls. Case in point, the new Ford F-150 Lightning is advertising its vehicle-to-home capabilities super hard. In Ford's case, they designed their islanding and charger in-house, but I believe many OEMs would prefer to opt for a partnership with an existing system to optimize for speed. Next section, strategy. So that's the landscape. How do we capitalize on this opportunity? I think there are three viable strategies, residential, commercial, and fleet. So residential, uh, basically this is sell household chargers. Some pros, one, it has the largest TAM by a wide margin. I think it's 27 billion by 2032, by 2050, over 200 billion. Most cars are left plugged into households most of the time, so this gives the most flexibility for V2G services. And finally, could also partner with large home building companies to offer these as built-in for new construction homes. Cons. Consumers are less logical. Uh, they would be rationally scared of damaging their battery uh, because of loss aversion bias. However, starting with vehicle to home and adding vehicle to grid later would circumvent this because then it becomes a disaster recovery feature where you can power your house during a blackout. Commercial. So this is where you sell chargers that go in office buildings, hotels, and various other commercial buildings. The pros of this, one, office hours typically match the high demand portion of the grid load curve, so the grid services would be more profitable to run. And two, selling building by building would be far more scalable than consumer by consumer. Partnering with large building owners would also give access to thousand plus deal sizes. Cons, uh, there's the same issue with consumer logical fallacy, but you don't get the benefit of being able to fall back on V to H because the office building isn't gonna be uh, switching to off the grid mode. And also this segment has a much smaller TAM. Uh, my guess is three billion by 2032. And the final one is fleet. This is where you sell commercial vehicle chargers for vehicle depots. Pros of this, uh, fleets are much more logical about their purchases. So the increased revenue of selling energy back to the grid would be a huge selling point. As we talked about last time, vehicle to grid significantly changes the economics of buying an EV for a fleet. Um, and also another pro is I know a thing or two about selling into fleets as it turns out. Cons though, commercial vehicles require L3 fast chargers since truck batteries are larger and time is money. So the chargers themselves are more expensive and complex, uh, would require more upfront capital. To commercial vehicle electrification is lagging behind consumer by 
let's say five to 10 years, uh, the largest vehicles are the last to convert. So that means we'd be pursuing light duty vehicle segment uh, for a while and then transitioning into MDV and then HDV. And then three, this one has kind of like a mid-sized TAM, uh, I think like 8 billion by 2032. So of these three, I think residential is probably the play as the largest TAM is extremely important to start out. Moving forward, so what's next? I think there's a bunch of threads to continue to pull. Uh, one piece that I'm currently missing is a key technological innovation. It's not strictly necessary, but it sure would be nice to have an advantage over the competition. A uh, huge shout out to Moyuk here, who has been working with me to investigate what components go into chargers and how they work. Um, I found some sort of competitive differentiators that, uh, from looking at existing products, and those are size, aesthetic, price, charging speed, dongle compatibility, installation cost, islanding hardware cost, software management UX, and efficiency. From a bottom-up perspective, we could break down a charger, understand it part by part, and see what can be improved. From a top-down perspective, maybe some cutting-edge research can improve on this as well. I could read some papers and reach out to the authors. As an interesting side note, Islanding insulation could be a great way to cut costs. I think it's expensive because operating on a live wire is dangerous, but could you make a special piece of equipment that takes the danger out of it, maybe? Next thread. The DOE issued a request for comments as part of their $505 million grant. I should submit some comments and see if they'd be willing to fund a charger startup. Three, uh, continue to traverse the network. Despite the large number of people that I've already talked to, there are a lot more who'd be useful to talk to with still. If you know anyone who fits one of these buckets, I would super appreciate an intro. One, researchers, particularly on power electronics and high efficiency converters or inverters. Two, electrical contractors, anyone who has installed a home EV charger or islanding equipment. U three, utilities, anyone who's working on the implementation of FERC 2222. Four, lawmakers, anyone at FERC or the California Energy Commission who's working on pushing V2G. And five, charger makers, anyone who's built EV chargers before to see kind of what they've struggled with and what can be improved upon. Okay, that's it for now. If you made it this far, I appreciate you and I'm glad you're here. We'd love to hear any feedback or ideas you might have as always. I'm obviously not a power electronics expert, so there's a lot to learn in this space. Next up, crypto lobbying still queued and uh, queuing up a new one for next next time, land reclamation. Okay, that's it for this time. Thanks for listening. Have a good one.